G'day everyone, Pete from the Plus Six Podcast here. Jeff and I recorded episode 61 last night and we discussed Braden Proust on the podcast, which is coming up. And this morning on Wednesday, Feb 17, um, Proust has an injury concern. You can catch that article on afrratings.com.au at the moment. So just make an adjustment as we discuss Proust in the podcast. And just a reminder that news travels fast and just always to make adjustments based on what you hear on the podcast. So enjoy it. We'll catch you soon. Welcome to the Plus Six Podcast. My name is Pete, and I go by the name of AFL Writings Pete on Twitter. Welcome to a man you know on Twitter is DT. Welcome to the show, Jep. Hey, Pete. Four weeks or thereabouts to the home and away season. How is your preparation going? Yeah, can't wait for footy to start. And the prep's pretty pretty buoyant. I um I haven't played around too much of late. I'm pretty happy with where the team's at and the balance of the team, you know, with primos, mid prices and, and rooks and the like. So just waiting to get uh that solid information and really waiting for the preseason games. Alright, prediction time. Where are the Eagles gonna finish finish it? The home and away season and I think they'll be top eight. I think they'll struggle. Again, they're aiming for top four, obviously, but I think fifth or sixth is realistic. And I'm Collingwood, so I reckon it would be seven or eight-ish. The list is still good enough. But I think that midfield is expiring, so we'll see how that holds up throughout the year. And there's an opportunity from a fantasy perspective that there are opportunities in that midfield. Well, we're going to get straight into it right now. As always, if you retweet any podcast link, that you see come out on the Plus Six Podcast Twitter account. Just retweet it and you're going into a draw to win a cap, giving a few away and just had a few more just arrive. The next retweet giveaway will be just before the home and away season. Also, if you're not being following the AFL ratings Twitter accounts, you're likely behind your opponents already. Jump on and follow. All I ask for in return for the content are likes and retweets. They are very much appreciated. Additionally, the fantasy content is flying over at aforratings.com.au, just crushing it at the moment. If you like deep analysis on fantasy, breaking news, play roles, injuries, etc., then this is your home for the home and away season. This is going to be a relaxed podcast again. So I'm just going to run through some questions on strategy and game theory. There's some great questions that came through on Twitter, so thank you in advance for those. Remember, this podcast between Jep and I is focused on AFL Fantasy Classic overall ranking. Uh, we're going to do a six-pack today, and Jep and I are going to add a few more topics at the end of that. Okay, question one. Thanks, Dean, for this. Forwards are a tricky one this year. Are you willing to take the most risks in this line, given the other lines seem to have more guaranteed value slash upside, Jep? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, nailing the top six forwards, so to speak, is probably the hardest to do. So, yeah, there'll be plenty of um, calculated risks, I'll call it, and, and yeah, hopefully some development in the mid-prices we pick. For me, uh, my on-field forward line, I don't think it has that many risky options right now. Uh, but I think I'm going to be accepting a higher percentage of ownership there, so... For me, I think I'm just going to eat that ownership come up at round one. Question two for Matt, thank you. 
How much importance do you place on buy strategy in, in a starting squad? Will you focus more on best available and plan a trading strategy leading up to the buyers around that? Or do you have a set amount of keeper plays you want on each buy from the start? Yep. So it's, a, it's an answer for immediately for me. I, I do look at it after just to make sure that we don't have too many primos in the first buy. So I think the buy suits us generally. We've got round 12, Geelong, Gold Coast, GWS, Hawthorne, North Melbourne and Port Adelaide. So as long as we're not loading too much out of those teams with all our primos, I think you're pretty safe. I actually haven't even looked at the buys, to be honest. Um, so for me, it's just about building a sound squad right now. I'll start to pay attention to that uh, about a week out from round one. Uh, but it's definitely not going to impact my decision making now in building a solid squad. A couple of things there beyond that. There's a potential that oh, obviously another COVID impacted year for the AFL that uh, fixtures might change um, and who knows what's going to happen there and obviously fixtures might change in the week leading up to the game. So for me, I'm going to start to worry about the boys uh, just in before round one. But yeah, it is important. You've got to have a good balance. So that's what I'll be doing at the week before. Okay, question three for Mark. Thank you. Everyone has been talking about the new kick-in rule. What about the limiting of movement from the man on the mark? So this is from the kick-in from behind, Jep. So the player needs to stand a little bit further back. Yep. And surely that brings in a few more plus sixes for teams like Geelong, Frio, West Coast, who hold the ball in defence and like to chip it around. Your thoughts, Jep? Yeah, there will be a bit of that, but I think there's more going to be overlap run. So the overlap run's going to be high. Um, Saad is one from Carlton now that's really going to suit this new rule. And with that overlap run, I think there's going to be actually less possessions. So different teams play different strategies. You know, the teams noted playing possession football were Geelong, Freer, West Coast. Um, but, yeah, guys, that teams that like to run the ball, um, those defenders. So let's take Carlton as an example. Probably Doherty suffers a little bit in those plus six points. Mm-hmm. So for me, there is a lot more room now. So teams can take that little outlet pass really quickly. So that might create a few more opportunities. So I think there is some there. And yeah, I'd be sort of targeting those players from Geelong and Frio and West Coast who do like to take those kick-ins. So a little bit of space there. Uh, we'll see how that plays out throughout the home and away season. And teams tracking uh, slowly from uh, D50 uh, is one to keep a look out there, especially over the one preseason game that we're going to see. Okay, question four from Lex. Thank you. Basement rocks enjoy the steepest price increases. With the predicted dearth of viable 170k rooks, are we doomed to generate less cash over the season? And what does this mean when trying to upgrade all of these mid-prices, Jep? Well, yeah, Lex is spot on. Um, it's looking likely we're going to struggle for those basement price rooks, but we still can generate pretty decent cash out of the mid-prices if we pick them correctly. So I think picking those mid-prices that up their average plus 20 this year on prediction is, is the 
obviously a big canister generation too, and it can't be discounted. And then as the season gets on and and injuries occur, more likely the young guys come in and, and we cash up. So picking obviously the rooks that have played and they're going to be not um, not falling off trees, so to speak, but picking those mid-prices that earn the cash is uber critical this year. Yeah, we could be low for options, uh, especially early in the season. And to back that up, you know, the, most of the under-18 players last year didn't play, so the development is already behind. And not only that, we had a shorter pre-season, so how many of these players are we going to see, especially from the 2020 draft? So it could lend to more value selections this year. Again, uh, we're going to have to be spot on with those value picks. Okay, question five from Nick. Is it too risky to bet against Pruce and go with Grundy, Riley, O'Brien combo? Pruce's injury history, early draw and high ownership are all worrying, but he's locked into so many teams. This is a question Jep and I talked about pre-podcast. Off you go, Jep. Yeah, so it, it's obviously an issue of high risk, high reward. If, you, if Pruce is not in your starting 22 and you opt against it, and he struggles to warm up to the season, I think that gives you a, quite a big leg up given how much ownership um, he will have in the overall rank. So it's a calculated risk that each individual coach is going to coach is going to have to work through. And, and I just think back to last year of how Sam Jacobs started. It really took him – that first game wasn't great. He played better second and third. So it did take him a little while to adapt – um, but I just can't see GWS playing through Preuss, and I'm thinking, yeah, going against it myself. Yeah, for me, you're going to have to put holes in Preuss. I, I actually, I'm against what you're saying there, Jet. You're pretty much going to have to put bullet holes in any type of Preuss fail. Uh, we know he has a high ceiling. He's going to be number one ruck. Leon Cameron likes to play a solo ruck only. don't think Muffin's going to be anywhere near that team, although... It did surprise us with Jacobs going against Jacobs last year and playing Mumford over him, so we'll see how that goes. I haven't really looked at his early draw, but the key one here is the high ownership and if that's worrying. So put it this way, if he crushes early, he's going to make a stack of coin. So do you really want to be up against that at that particular position when you're going to be fighting with uh, so many coaches that are going to start him? So, again, for me, I haven't found really many um, opinions or any data or anything to say that he's a bad pick. So, therefore, and with the high ownership, I think it's pretty much we're going to have to eat that ownership and start with him uh, because that is going to create too much cash. And he can score as well. Um, but, yeah, if you if you can find sort of some sort of edge to go against, which is going to be very high ownership, uh, then go for your life. But you've also got to keep in mind how many people are against you in selecting Pruce. Okay, question six from Clint and the winner of the Plus Six podcast cap. With the confirmation of 24-hour before slash no Thursday teams, so this is no teams hitting uh, the airwaves on Thursday night, and likely rolling lockouts. Is it smart now to prioritise loopholes a bit more and look at players, especially rooks, who have majority early in the round games? 
or are there other ways to strategize around this? Now, just before we go, Jep, I uh, just had a quick chat with Mitch Cleary uh, offline today just to confirm what they're doing with team announcements. Uh, pretty much going to be the night before there's been no official announcement as yet, but he pretty much thinks that it's going to be roll in as what we did at Canada last year. So again, we're not going to get teams on Thursday nights. They're coming out on Friday nights for the Saturday Saturday games only, pretty much. And on Sunday, we're going to get them on Saturday night. So that pretty much leads into a rolling lockout. So we're going to have to wait and see how that plays out. But what are your thoughts on that question? How to strategize around that? Yeah, it's it's planning, isn't it? So we plan for those Thursday night teams where we can to make sure, one, we have a vice captain, but I love the emphasis on the rooks. Playing those um, those guys potentially through the bench and, and seeing whether they stink it up or not and having a backup plan. It's not always going to happen and work, um, but where you can do it, it's um, is definitely a very clever strategy for sure. Yeah, and the other one there I'd throw in there is uh, tracking news. Obviously, that's going to have to be a high priority holding trades as we discussed in last year's podcast obviously when a little bit of um afl fantasy gameplay changed due to covid uh, we had to adapt on the fly and one thing that we thought was an advantage at some stage throughout the year was holding trades late as possible um, but obviously looking at that loophole early in the season for vice captains you know that's something to look out for and yeah and rookies play into that as well uh, but keep uh, definitely keep an eye on news. I think that's very important. Okay, just going to go through a couple of topics here with Jeb. Uh, ownership on AFL Fantasy website compared to ownership for overall contenders, from what I'm seeing, is quite different. So I'll go th- I'll go first with these, Jeb. So for me, a huge variance can be exported. Uh, when ownership level is known or close to accurate, then critical informed decisions can be made. Uh, Jeff and I talked about this pre-podcast, uh, just ran a poll at our ratings fantasy uh, Twitter account today and it was Sam Walsh and he was up at 63% ownership on that poll and obviously a little bit of time to run on that as well. But yet on the AFL fantasy website is at 9% and I'm just going to throw another one in there for you as we talked about Braden Proust before. Uh, I think I ran a poll there the other week and I think it was in the 80s or high 80s to start at round one. Now, looking at his ownership on the AFL Fantasy website, you know, and that's coming in at 40%. So, as you can see, I mean, what we're seeing there on that website, which is, it's not wrong, it's just that what we're dealing with regards to overall contenders, let's just say it's 10,000 that, that have a chance to win at AFL Fantasy overall, you know, we're looking at 80% for Bruce and on the website it's showing 40. So if you can get an accurate gauge on certain players, then you can make uh, decent decisions. Jeff, your thoughts? Yeah, I agree. So we're, ta- we're assuming that uh, those within the Twitter realms and other hardcore coaches and follow the news pretty intently and and we are within those top percentage coaches that can win. So yeah, it's it's a very very interesting point and something I've never thought of, you know. And and Walsh is a really good example, you know. He he screams value for for those going as an outside mid working into now to being an inside mid for Carlton potentially and how that plays out and everyone's jumping on his 739 grand price tag um, with the hopes of of pushing him pushing to a top eight mid. So yeah. 
obviously that uniqueness of 9% ownership as we can see it through the AFL Fantasy website is is not necessarily the case with the top coaches. So, yeah, really good work there, Pete. I um, Like I said, something I haven't thought of, and, and Walsh specifically is something probably I need to reconsider. Yeah, and let's just follow up on Walsh there. So, and back onto the Braden Pruce argument. I mean, can you find any bullet holes and, and a path to failure? So his path to failure, I would set at a benchmark that he needs to, you know, 10 to 15 points on his current average. Now, he finished the season well last year. I, I do see that. But is he going to be in the top four for centre bounces? So I think he pretty much could come in at number four, along with Will Setterfield, maybe at the level. Cripps is number one. We know that Zach Williams is coming in, and I think he's almost going to be a number two. Ed Kerno was in the 80s or high, or not the high 80s, but in around about that 80% for centre bounces last year. I, I don't see that changing a great deal. Mark Murphy, we know, is pretty much going out. He's going to a half-forward flank. Uh, and just just a little bit on there is that, you know, with the increase back out to a normal game length and the redu- reduction in 75 interchange, you know, how many more people are going into that centre bounce? Now, we know Walsh can play a wing role, and he did sit out there last year. So, yeah, uh, is there a path to failure? Uh, I think the path to failure is, it, you know, is he going to be um, an average less than 10 points? I think there's a chance that that's possible. Um, I do think he's going to be a great fantasy scorer, don't get me wrong, so I'm not, not sort of going against him here. But, you know, when potentially you're looking at 63% ownership, and again, 10,000 coaches... We say, and it could be wrong, could be more, could be a little bit less, that we think can win overall A4 Fantasy. And pretty much if it's 63% poll, it's 6,300 coaches that are starting Sam Walsh. Now, again, for me, he's not in the top three of centre bounces, and for me, that's just a little bit of a red flag. Do you really want to be joining 6,300 coaches in starting him at round one, Jeff? Yeah, when you say it like that, mate, probably not. It's... um. It's food for thought, and look, Walsh could have a great year and dominate and and go against the odds. But yeah, those are val- very valid points you raise with the centre bounce attendances and and the midfield usage, and you probably get caught out um, on the wing roll more often than not. It's just dealing with injuries, so we don't know how they're going to occur. So say Cripps goes down, heaven forbid, for an extended period, yeah, it'll be in there you know, away. then Walsh would be in there straight away. So yeah. How you consider that and weigh that risk up is is up to the individual coaches. But as it stands, I think everything you've noted there is is very reasonable. Um, and I think the term you use is caught out starting him. Um, he's not necessarily a safe bet and as safe as everyone thinks he is. At 9%, yeah, I'm definitely interested in starting Sam Walsh. At 63% of 10,000 coaches, uh-uh. I ain't going there anywhere near that. So you've pretty much got to work out, and this is back into this ownership A4 Fantasy website, what it's telling us. It's giving us information, but is that accurate information for potentially highly ranked coaches? I uh, don't think it is really. So it's just something that I'm really monitoring big time for what ownership is and some polls and just canvassing some other people out there of who they're going with. And I'm just seeing a big discrepancy that we can take advantage of. Maybe Sam Walsh is the, not starting him. Maybe that's the edge that we're looking for this year, especially when, you know, potentially 63% start with him. Okay, we're going to look at game time increase and potential change in split roll percentage with a reduced cap interchange cap of 75 jet. So for me, 
from what I've gauged over information coming through, done a bit of research on this year, is that more players, well, players are going to increase their game time percentage with a reduction in, in interchange. Okay, so you get less interchanges. So that's a couple more minutes on the ground. And that's pretty much a standard conversation I've heard or discussion I've heard from um, interviews over the preseason. So a couple of minutes extra, that's a bonus. Man, these, these people are potentially underpriced. Okay, so the midfielders that we target for centre bounces, okay, you know, does that now mean a reduction in centre bounces and they start to manage their loads, i.e. they don't go full ball in a midfield for 80% of centre bounces, maybe that now reduces to 60%. So we're going to increase on one hand time on ground, but we're going to reduce the premium role. So that's one thing for me that I'm really looking at and I'm factoring in some of my decision-making there. Your thoughts there, Jep? Yeah, it's 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 a bit of a wait and see, and I think the pre-season week is, is going to tell us a little bit. But ultimately, with the reducing the changes, it's, it's, to me it means that those players that can play dual positions are of more value on you know to us as fantasy players because again I'll use Rosie we've talked about it before Rosie plays in the midfield for a stint and then he goes back forward and then he'll come to the bench and he'll have that rotation where others like say Taylor Adams will just play straight guts yep. through midfield for a period of time seven minutes a quarter what what whatever it is till his first rest and that's it and then go again for the next eight minutes whatever it is and then have the quarter time break so it's gauging those players that can play multiple positions and mid forward is obviously the common one with danger and even Dunkley and, and the like. So yeah, it's gauging that and, and, and identifying that. And, you know, it's, I don't think it's as glamorous as it's, as it's made out to be with that additional time. I think it's just going to be a slight rotation. The key position players have the less, least rest, as we all know, um, you know that it bugs everyone when a forward kicks a goal. They normally come off. That probably stops a little bit now. Um, I don't think we're going to notice it that much, to be fair. Yeah, it could be take with one hand and give with the other. So, so just on that Rosie and Adams sort of comparison you made, you know, and you're right, is that Adams is in there in that midfield, and that's pretty much where he is. He's a solo sort of role player. So. Are you more fixated on that solo, like a Lockie Neal as well? So that player who's just going to be just in there all the time. So Absolutely. Are, you, are you willing to pay a little bit more for those in premium and part of your salary build? So you're going to pay for that premium that, for that role? Or are you looking to sort of finesse a bit of salary and sort of target those players that, you know, like Rosie is potentially going to see some more midfield usage this year, which is pretty much... With, going to be the case with Fantasia coming in, but, I mean, what are you looking for? Are you looking for that specific role or are you looking for that, you know, finesse? What are you looking at, Jeff? Well, let, let me, let's look at the highest averaging players of last year. Lockie Neal. Um, there's in there. In there. there. There's Adams. In there's there. Oliver. In there. Kelly. Zach Merritt. In there, in there. And I'm midfield specific only at the minute. It's Jack Steele. In there. Like... They're all true traditional Matt Crouch. They're all true yeah. traditional mids. So yep. for sure, I think they, that is not a coincidence. Mm. So you definitely need to consider that. It's just how many you go with, and how many you can afford. That's another argument, and I get it. It's it's you can't have everyone. You'd no, love no. to fit them all in. 
fucked. But the, there is a, definitely a relationship between those uh, players that play one to true position, yeah, yeah than, than playing multiple roles. Because Oliver's no value to the Melbourne Football Club playing at half forward. No. Is it? Yeah, and exactly. So he's of most value in that engine room, and uh, yeah, it correlates into fantasy points. It, it, Collingwood this year, you know, Trelaw was injured for a lot of last year, but the the amount of load on Taylor Adams' shoulders this year for that midfield for Collingwood is huge. And he's a little bit hurt at the moment. Yeah, which sucks. Um, wasn't happy about that news. And Zach Merritt's the same. Like quality ball user, constantly in there. Sackmer can really go missing at half forward. They've tried it. I remember over the years, like I've seen them try it. It just doesn't work. Yeah, and just we'll just continue that Collingwood conversation right here as well. So Adam's a little bit hurt, and you know if most like fantasy coaches are going to target anyone, it's going to be Adams, and it would be me too. Like we know Trelaw's out of there now. He's off. He's off at the Bulldogs now. Uh, Sears going to come into the centre bounces. Uh, Tyler yep. Brown a little bit in there as well. And we're probably going to see a little bit of a new mix in that centre square for the Magpies. One player that's not really ever talked about who provides a consistent week-in, week-out performance is Pendlebury. Now, there's the high-end talent right in the middle. It's just Pendlebury on side is going to be in there as well, and he just accumulates left, right and centre. So, but it's it's right at the coalface in that inside traffic sort of contested, you know, Pendlebury... Uh, Rolls through, then evades traffic left, right, and centre. So he's going to be in that coal face. And Adams is just just a contested beast. So if you're not going to go Adams, actually Pendlebury's not not an option that I've ruled out right here, right now. Because again, we talked about the players who score well. We talked at, about their specific role. Pendlebury, I mean, if if the weight's going to be on Adams' shoulders, it's going to be just as much as on Pendlebury this year, Jep. Yeah, he's 100% right. Um, Collingwood need that um, stability within their, their centre bounce midfielders and overall midfield for that matter. So, yeah, it's it's funny. I think Boak last year was hardly picked, and look how he turned out for the for the whole full season. He had a great year. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely worth considering. I and just I'll, and I'll tell you, he'll have no ownership. So yeah. I just looked at Pendlebury now, it's 1%, and obviously we just talked a little bit about what we see on the AFL Fantasy website, which is correct, but what we think uh, top 10,000 coaches will do. Oh, I reckon you'd still struggle to get 5%. I really yeah, do. So, I mean, let me just have a look here at Adams as well while I'm at it. But from, from the Pendlebury perspective, there's going to be no ownership. So maybe that's a, a point. Now, uh, Pendlebury's just low 800s. Adams 8.73, so you're paying a premium, but Pendlebury's that step below. And he's that tier below in scoring as well. Now, Taylor Adams is 8%. But if we're talking about heavy workloads, let's forget about the injury concern at the moment. If we're talking about heavy workloads, and that's what you want from a fantasy player, he's the player that you want. And you want 80, if you're going to spend 8.73 on someone, it's probably Adams, because that workload's going to be there. Is it really 8% if he was healthy? No, I think from, you know, the, again, the top 10,000 coaches, I think that ownership would be about 20%, maybe 30%. Yeah. But Pendlebury is going to be 5%. So, you know, I think it, the workload on Pendlebury this year, I think it's going to be quite heavy, Jeff. Yeah, and you did mention side bottom. I think side bottom mm. is, is a very interesting prospect because, you know, is he going to average over 110 this year? Well, probably not but not, you know, out of the question. 
and I just think he's like Adams, he becomes so much more important to Buckley and his structures and how they play and it's worth all considering, yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, side bottoms doesn't have too many tricks in his bag either. He's you know in the wing and he's mm. played a little bit inside of recent years and I think he plays more inside this year with just to balance out that experience. And and look, if imagine if Taylor Adams didn't start the season, yeah. like they're left with veterans in side bottom and Pendlebury and Sia to, to carry the load and Sia's obviously still fresh and developing. Yeah, Pendlebury's got a ceiling. It's just that everyone else gets the load. You know, he's just in there for the silk. So side is at um, side bottoms at 16%. Uh, he's a big spend, but he's got DPP status, so foot mid forward, so which is a huge advantage. He gives you flexibility in your roster. Uh, yeah, an 841k. So you know, you got three options there that are going to have heavy workload for the Magpies this year. And then, as you've said, you got uh, Sear down as the value option down there. He's shown a good fantasy game at the moment, here, but does he have that ceiling? And if you're going to spend uh, 400-odd K on C, uh, and you probably need to rely on him for some scores, and there are some other players around that 400, 500, 600 mark, you know, a, which one is more reliable? So anyway, we're getting a little bit stuck down in Collingwood there, but it's good discussion with regards to, you know, having a different thought process and what people are thinking and where you can create... Um, some spots of edge for your, for your roster build. And just thinking about that as well as creating leverage in your roster construction. So the next topic here, uh, for me, it'll be about just creating two to four spots on your roster that is pretty much different from everyone else. So which is quite difficult to do. It's going to be difficult to do with the um, the players under 300K this year because it could be limited. So high ownership on all those that are going to be available for us. But once we get out into the mid-prices, maybe that's where you can take an, uh, an advantage and a little bit of an edge. But I think I think also if you get up into the premiums, Jeb, I think there's uh, specific players in there that do have a high ceiling that will have low ownership. So maybe just you just take it one that has a high ownership that you can say, well, if his uh, ownership is going to be strong and that's going to be his output and we know his output and it's pretty much known, yeah, maybe I'll just take a different route this year. So your thoughts there, Jeb? Yeah, I just think um, having those uniques, if we're going to call them that, just limit them to two. You know, keep players pick themselves usually, um, not always, and um, and just make sure that there's you got the stability with a Grundy at R1 or whoever it may be, and and don't go too unique. Um, last year I made that mistake. I went a bit too unique to start round one, and it really cost me. And I was chasing tail the whole year, so. Um, I'd limit those unique picks to one or two. Okay. Okay, chasing a player, and I had this exact question last year, and I think I failed. So chasing a player in season that explodes early to trade in, or not to trade in, as a priority jet. Do you want me to go with my example first? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it was was the lock in the decision. So I didn't start with him at round one. And then you just seen those scores pop in week after week after week. And again, his role was there. I knew it was there. His preseason was great. I just didn't start with him. My decision, I'll live with it. But do you chase him down? So after you know you get to round six and he's averaging 110 on reduced minutes uh, due to last year, I mean, he's, uh, how much are you going to spend on him? So I failed on this. Um, it was a couple of weeks later I did trade him in and I didn't get value for money 
And what that does as well, you generate cash through other players, we know that, through the basement salary players. I then spent into Lockie Neal, and it was the wrong decision. And I don't think I'd do it there again. And we did discuss this on the podcast last year. I mean, you're pretty much going to have to take him on. At that stage where you don't have him, and you're still at round three, round four, don't have, you're just going to have to let him go. And hopefully um, that plays out in a way in your favour at some stage. But yeah, mid-season I did bring him in and that hamstrung me in with regards to the amount of money in the bank that I had for upgrades and then uh, that forced me into other decisions. So I completely failed on that question last year. Jep, your thoughts? Yeah, look, for the priority of trading in, it depends on what price they're at. So you use Lockie's Neil example as a primo, but what if it's a mid-pricer that just explodes? Um, I think yeah, we had example. Petrarca really in the first two, three rounds just kill it. And mm-hmm. everyone was forced to, to play that hand as well, including myself. So it depends on the player. Um, you're not always going to get it right. It's it's And it just emphasises how critical it is that you, you know, your starting lineup is and how that affects you. So, it, yeah, it depends player to player. Um, Primo is less important, but it's obviously more important to cash in on those mid-prices that are really killing it to start the year. Okay, keeping updated and digging deeper on research, pre-season research, and also in-season. So for me, there are, there are plenty of super journos out there at the moment around the grounds providing some genuine useful useful information as much as you can uh, send them an appreciation reply retweet or like especially in this time because most training sessions are close to the public and in victoria at the moment we're on lockdown so i can't even get out to training to have a bit of a squeeze here what's going on as much as i am very keen to so the information we're getting is from some pretty experienced journalists out there they know what they're looking at any sort of piece of information that you find useful useful for your fantasy team, give them a share, give them a thank you. I'm sure they would appreciate that from uh, our small fantasy community in here at the Plus Six podcast. Uh, again, we need them more than ever with closed training sessions and throughout the season potentially as well. Uh, just on the research part of it, uh, how deep how deep is your spreadsheet, Jeff? How many players you got on there? Oh, you over 50. Easily. So I've got every single player. I've done projections <clears throat> on every single player. So, I mean, it's just a massive variance. So I think if we really want to go deep this year, man, the research has got to be great. It has to be really in-depth. So for me, I do every single player. Uh, I won't put it up this year on the website, but next year you're going to have projections on the website, so that's going to be a lot easier for you, and you just can manipulate them as you see fit. So that's something to look forward to, as well. So how many players you got? Fifty. You got the whole lot. And again, the other one, not too sure how many people focus in. Is it what are you actually tracking? You know what I mean? Are you looking at last year's form? Are you you know centre bounces from last year? What are people actually tracking? So for me. I just I narrow it down as much as possible. Um, it, it's pretty much for me. I want to see a role. I want to see a genuine ro- a role. I want to see a centre bounce usage. Again, we mentioned those players earlier. Those guys who are in there in the solo centre bounce, the the midfielders with the the weight on their shoulders. We need them in our teams, but they're expensive as well. 
And for me, uh, the one thing I'm really, really looking at is the value. So you, you've got your spreadsheet open. I've got every single player. I've got their salary in there. I've got my projection for that particular player. And then uh, calculation in my spreadsheet formula spits out what type of value are they. So every single player, you get a, a good situation where you can highlight 10 to 20 players that are popping in the value chart. Your thoughts, Jep? Yeah, I think I suppose just to add to that, I, I do projections of best 22 for every team. So I've got a tab for each team. I'll do best 22 with assuming no injuries. Then I have sort of the emergency list, but it goes 10 deep, 8 deep depending. Um, and then I sort of critique of where they will line up if an injury occurs and, you know, let's use West Coast. <clears throat> you know, if Shannon Hearn, who's not getting any younger, goes down... Who comes in as you know? Is do they just go with Rotham to to fill the void, or will they go with them all of a boyish guy, assuming Witherden's already in the starting 22, stuff like that? You you sort of a little bit ahead of, of the game with that. So if an injury does occur suddenly, you can analyse pretty quickly who's going to fill the role, and you emphasise role pretty big, and it is it's huge. So. I look at the roles for every well, the players I've got a watch list on, my 50 or whatever they may be, and just making sure that they tick all the boxes and in the news and following those journos, like you said, and and those in the know, um, and making sure there are no red flags. And let's use the Adams um, hamstring injury from last week. It's a red flag. I felt better when he tweeted himself, but maybe that was a bit of show for the supporters and, and the like. But, um, yeah, it's a little bit of how, as you called him before. And um, just every – my 50 players, my core focus, um, I just track it that way. Mm. Okay, we'll wrap it up there, uh, listeners. So, okay, this season there will be an extra podcast every week, if you didn't already know, and that's of the home and away season. It will be designed to provide extra information in order for you to take your games to the next level. Uh, the pre-season schedule, again, will be slightly random, so keep an eye on your favourite platform for new podcasts. Jeff, that's it for episode 61. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, guys.